welcome to a new edition of the Canadian Crew Podcast. I'm Jorge Castillo. Last year's cancellation of Hannibal didn't come as a surprise, but it was more than all the same. Very few TV shows display the craftsmanship Hannibal did, with the added difficulty of being on a traditional network. Among the show's many highlights, the meals on display were particularly delightful. Food consultant Janice Poon knocked it out of the park week after week with spectacular-looking dishes that made cannibalism look less reprehensible. The Canadian Crew podcast had the opportunity to catch up with Poon. The multi-hyphenated artist discussed her origin story, Hannibal, of course, and her involvement in other Brian Fuller projects. Janice Poon, welcome to the Canadian Crew. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. We are happy to have you. Um, I was looking into your uh, webpage, you're a multi-hyphenated artist, <laughs> so tell me a little bit of everything that you do, which is a lot, actually. You know, that's such a nice way to put it, multi-hyphenated. I, I always tell people I'm rudderless, but uh, it's given me a lot of opportunities by not being super focused on goals. <laughs> This is not, do not tell your children. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I just sort of, I started out in advertising. Uh, thinking that, of course, I would change the world because I was 20 and the world needed changing. And I got into advertising. I was there for two or three years trying to straighten out the misogyny and the lying and then whatnot. And I realized that um, uh, advertising was going to change me a lot faster than I was going to change advertising. So I thought, really, I'm much more a hands-on person. So I started as one does, farming illustrations out to myself and think projects out to myself and gained a kind of a freelance um, uh, profile. And I started freelancing as an illustrator designer. And then um, I, an opportunity uh, weirdly came up for me to go to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So I I quit that, went to Los Angeles, and of all things, I got involved designing board games and um, things, um, what would you, what, I forget what you call that, when it's, uh, it's add-on stuff associated to a product. Um, um, like, a, uh, okay. In what context? Okay, well, it's a, it, I was working for an ad agency for a, um, a pancake house okay. and they wanted to promote their pancake house. They're, it's a chain, large chain, which obviously is going to remain nameless here. Of course. No, and because um, I did, I, I, was, I wasn't illegal, I wasn't legal, so I was doing things a little bit, um, you know, as an illegal alien. <laughs> and, uh, but I was designing um, games really for them to give, because they were trying to improve their profile as a family like a restaurant. Kind of exactly, okay. like a promotion. So I was, uh, so games and board games and cards and things like that. And then I um, had to leave the country suddenly. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we, back wanna, we wanna ask you why. <laughs> no, it's just it was time. Okay. Because you know, I'm, I'm a Canadian citizen and I never thought of living anywhere but Canada. So I came home and started to live my real life. But um, before I started to live my real life, I got, um, I got an opportunity to open a store. Mm -hmm. 
And this is really very sideways, as all of my decisions are. They come to me slowly. I didn't wake up and say, I've got to have a store. There was a store I used to visit a lot in a really posh little area. Do you know Scott, York, York, Yorkville? Yorkville, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it was a posh, and it was, then it was full of little um, privately owned boutiques, and it was a little bit artsy and, and still a little bit posh. So I used to go and visit um, my girlfriend there all the time, uh, uh, who had a, a, um, a specialty coffee and tea uh, cooking cooking ingredient store, right. and next door there was a girl who had a shop making hand sewn items like cushions and quilts and things like that, draperies, interior design stuff. Mm -hmm. And she was always flummoxed by how was she going to do this and how to do that. And well, I know how to sew, and I'm sort of mechanically minded, so. You know, she was thinking, oh, somebody wants me to make a duvet cover, but I don't know how to do that. And I said, well, you know, it's just a pillowcase, but right. it's large. So you just make a giant pillowcase and put buttons in the bottom and mm -hmm. that's it. You know, and, she, and every day was a struggle and I'd go stomping back to my friend. I'd say, oh my goodness, if, if, if that was my store, I'd do this, this and that and that. And one day she said to me, she was just sad, sad, sad. She couldn't, she had a three-year lease and she just couldn't do it anymore. And her husband was furious because she, it was just hemorrhaging money. So um, I just thought, I'll just take over your lease. I bought, I bought, you know, her chattels and that sort of thing, and uh, the furnishings and that sort of thing, and mm -hmm. uh, took over the lease. And so I started interior designing, <laughs> which was never, a, never a real interest of mine. But you know, it was fun, and so I, I did that for a while, and I had this cute little shop full of lacy and lavender and little, you know, sweet handmade things and I was you know going along minding my own business having fun with that and a woman came in who um, this is such a long story are you still interested oh, are you so, still with oh, us I'm still, I'm still here. <laughs> anyway uh, well, you know kick me when it goes on too long okay okay um, that uh, uh, a woman came in purporting to be a Saudi princess and this was in the previous century when you know it was a fabled thing and uh, or perhaps it still is, but anyway, she Being a yeah yeah, and uh, she she so flamboyant. She was just you know you couldn't but help but be mesmerized. She came flying in, went in the middle of summer, throw her chinchilla coat on the ground, and uh, you know she was so expressive and so uh, um, really really uh, unusual in her approach. And she wanted me to design her new home. And, uh, but it wasn't hers, it was a client and all of it, you know, anyway. So, the, I started by designing her home and she decided that, uh, that, that this was just the best thing and we should, um, we should go into business together. We should design weddings for Saudi princesses because of course all of her friends were Saudi princesses. And that probably pays well. Well, that's a side <laughs> benefit, it pays well. Me. If you don't mind all that flying and all that, and working in a different language is a little bit hard, uh, uh, but it was fascinating, mm. and I couldn't say no. And uh, she flew me to uh, Saudi Arabia. She flew me to London, to Paris. You know, we we had to go. We had to meet the princesses, her first batch of princesses, right. our first wedding in London, and that, you know, on and on. Anyway, uh, fast forward. Uh, the princess thing was very difficult, and she what she thought they're too difficult. Let's just open the store. Mm -hmm. 
I said, okay, fine. <laughs> and so we opened a, uh, a large um, boutique. It was more than a boutique. It was, we used to call it Four Floors of Fashion. Yeah. And uh, we had menswear, we had uh, prêt-à-porter, and we had a salon de, de la haute couture. And um, through various mishaps and mistaken identities, uh, I ended up being the, the couturier. Okay. So um, I had had, I did learn how to sew in home ec, mm -hmm. so I had that going for me. <laughs> the big advantage is that I could draw. Yes. And that I and that um, I knew where all the fabrics were. I knew a lot of so I put together a really good team of sewers, and uh, I looked all over and found uh, terrific embroiderers and beaters in India. The same people who are doing the couture work for uh, Dior and mm -hmm. Saint Laurent, we were using to do all of our beaded work, and it was really a marvelous time. Perfect. But then, oh, then the recession. So that. Um, and in the meantime, I sort of got interested in food. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always been interested in food, but I started uh, doing a bit of catering. Um, not so much the catering part, but the decor part. I had, a, uh, again, this, the woman who was next door to me in the shop, right. shop way about 20 minutes back. Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't 30 yeah, minutes, yeah, go yeah. um, she, she was starting to develop a, a catering uh, clientele. Okay. And, uh, so I would come in and do these lavish displays for her made out of food. We're and talking about this 2008, 2009, right? No, we're talking 2000. 2000, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, that recession? Yeah, that recession, yeah. Oh, there have been many. So, you yeah, know, so they don't bother me now. I go, oh, another recession, tell me about it. Anyway, so, um, and I find that they've been opportunities for me because uh, there was a, I was doing the cooking and the catering and uh, the uh, mostly large, huge displays for large, lavish parties, mm -hmm. which were back then were incredibly lavish, like anything you could do that was more outrageous than the next. And, um, but in between, I'd started to do some food styling for photography. And I knew about that because way back when I was working as an art director in an mm -hmm. ad agency, I um, had uh, a lot, my, I think my four main clients were food clients, okay. just, it just happened that way. And um, McDonald's, Kraft, uh, Maple Leaf, um, uh, what was the other one? No, I'm sure. It doesn't matter, anyway. Anyway, and so I saw um, food stylists mm -hmm. at work and I thought, that looks like fun. I could do that, but I never thought of it until um, some particularly arcane thing came up and it somehow came to me to do it. And then just by doing a few, you just become known. And then I started food styling. Right. And then, um, uh, there was a sh uh, there was a TV series uh, called um, Narrow, Narrow Wolf. Wolf. Right. That's right, Narrow yes, Wolf. I've noticed. And that was my first big. I mean, I'd done films before, but more as uh, more sets, like doing flowers and doing uh, things like that. For so, okay, so you were a set decorator. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'd done some set decoration, but uh, my experience on large uh, films mm -hmm. it, uh, were more as um, uh, participating on the doing floral arrangements and you know s just a smaller part of it not not a uh, nobody nobody would give me a senior position <laughs> no, or, or a <laughs> nobody, would, nobody would trust me with a senior position when you're talking about anyway um, no but I did do some TV some small TV shows mm -hmm. as a set decorator
But anyway, uh, no, my real experience uh, came with Nero Wolf, um, and it was a period piece. And he's uh, uh, like all detectives; they have to have their little peccadillos, and his was gourmet food. Okay. So they felt they needed a specialist, and um, uh, again, as with Hannibal, I was just going to do the pilot. Mm -hmm. But then, once I did the pilot, they decided that um, well, we have her to kick around; we might as well keep her on, you know. Okay. So that's, um, that's what happened. And I did a little bit of food styling in between, but really, uh, it just then it was the, I was doing illustrations. I started writing uh, children's books mm -hmm. and uh, graphic novels. And I was actually writing my third children's book. And my publisher had asked me for a rewrite and she hadn't given me a contract. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of fuming because I thought, you know, you either want the book or you don't. Like, I don't want to do another rewrite. Let's let's say you, you know. Let's say you want the book so that I can feel good about moving forward mm -hmm. with it. And so I was kind of like annoyingly, you know, just thinking. Just you know, your mind kind of goes blank if you're annoyed. No, I, I did. Okay. I didn't want to feel forced into doing this. And and the phone rang, and it was the prompt master from a new show called mm -hmm. Hannibal. Mm -hmm. Would I be interested in it? And I thought. You know what? I need something just to blow, you know, blow the cobwebs out of my brain. Just a fresh, sometimes a fresh, a complete change mm -hmm. is like a, you know, just a reset, and I could come back to my, just do this pilot, then come back to my book and just like write a fabulous rewrite, get mm -hmm. a published, be the, you know. So I, I'm still not finished with Hannibal. Mm -hmm. it, that was, um, that was for. Over four uh, years ago. Four, three years ago. Cancelled, it was cancelled last year. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then you have three years before that. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned that um, Hannibal wasn't a, you were only hired for the pilot. Yeah. Because food is such an essential part of the show. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how this developed? How did, how did, say, Brian fully realize that there has, this is a major issue that needs to be tackled? Oh, I think it was, um, I think he always knew it was a big, Mm -hmm. issue because they had engaged uh, um, Jose Andres, mm -hmm. uh, the super chef Jose Andres, to be the culinary consultant. So he, Brian was always aware that, that he wanted the food to be something spectacular. But it's, running a show is a very busy business, especially something new like Hannibal and everybody's trying to find their footing and um, it, it's a very collaborative thing, film where you take your cues from others and the kind of work they're doing, what they're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. you, you don't just sort of sit in your, alone in your little studio. It's not like writing where you think, okay, I'm going to do this, and then you do it. You think, I think this is an idea that's worth pursuing. You take it to the table. Other people look at it. You look at what they, they're bringing to the table. And it might not even relate directly, it might not be a direct comment on what you're bringing, right. but it informs you. Like the set decorator, the, the, they were using all sorts of skulls and feathers and mm -hmm. uh, uh, bugs and things, and so I thought, if them, if it's okay for them, it's okay for me, because I, I would never normally put those inedible things on a plate. Right. But, you know, Normally I wouldn't cook for a cannibal, so <laughs> so all things are all, and it all, you know, you want the whole idea with film when you're, when you have a small part, but every part 
has to mean something. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're writing, every word has to move the story forward. It either has to move the plot forward or inform the reader. Uh, anything else is, is, has no place. You just edit it out. And so I thought with the food, everything has to mean something. Mm -hmm. I want everything to mean something uh, or it's superfluous. I want it to inform the viewers subliminally or otherwise about the characters, about Hannibal's mind, mm -hmm. about the show itself, about the plot, all of those things. How much information do you have to start with, to start working in an episode? Uh, the information I, I had more or less was, well, I don't know. Do you know? No, I don't know. Do so, you know? So it was, it was uh, you, so basically you did the research and did the, and suggested the dish that needs to be put on the table. Uh, yes, I think what was happening is everybody was trying to find their spot, you know, right. like where, um, where am I in the hierarchy of things? Like what order does this go in? Uh, should I have, should I wait for Brian to tell Jose to tell me? Or do I bring my ideas forward? And then, and all this time, time is ticking while you're waiting for somebody to step forward. And so it's like, well, you know what? Somebody's got to say something. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I think in the very first episode, the very first uh, dish was uh, uh, was the lungs, mm -hmm. and uh, so Jose's people felt that it should be um, something classic based on Julia Child. So we went for lungs au vin, which would is uh, like coq au vin, but with lungs. And and then it was sort of left hanging, and I thought, well, hello, you know, hello, hello. The clock is ticking, and it. In, in, in the film world, it, things move very fast. It's Absolutely. like a moving train. You, and you have to have your stuff, and when the, do, when the train slides into the station, the doors open, you jump on with your stuff, or, or you're gonna miss the train. Right. So I thought, well, you know, we can't just sit around and play no you first, no you first. So I thought, well, I'm gonna do what I always do. I'll just do up a sketch and say, this is what I think, what do you think? And everybody, I think, at that point was so relieved that there was something to say yes or no, and somebody was going to say, so that's what happened. It's like, okay, great. And um, Brian liked it and Jose said, yes, move the beans. Mm -hmm. And then and, and then that was it. So that became sort of how we did it. Uh, the, and then of course, you can decide all you want, but when you get to the set and the director and the actor become Involved. a major part of the involvement and they are very much have their ideas about about the characters and so then that's a whole other thing and that happened with the lungs too where uh, we were very much at odds about what he should use to squeeze the air out of the lungs. Uh, something I will not be thinking about. No it's something you wouldn't be thinking. Most of the most of my job involves things that most people wouldn't have to think about, <laughs> but uh, with the lungs, for example, he was he was cooking them raw and then he was frying them, and then he was eating them. But he was also in the script it called for him to to kind of taste the raw lung. Now that would be uh, in contravention with the regulations that I have to go by food, safe. food safety. I thought, well, you know what? I don't want to be the one that kills Mad Mickelson, okay? Of I really are. don't. I don't. Don't blame me for that. So I said, <laughs> you know what? I have to find something that we can fry that uh, that looks the same as lungs. That is, oh my goodness! And I experimented with so many things. Um, in the end, ended up using 
baloney that I carved and painted. It sounds dreadful, but it worked. Yeah, it's how it looks. Really. Yeah, 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 it's how it looks. Um, I will say Maz was disappointed she that wanted to do it. he wanted to try it. He was looking forward to it. And that's, and that's the other thing too, you get to know the actors. It takes a little while to get to understand how far they'll go and what, they, what they're comfortable with. Uh, because a lot of actors are uh, very, very, um, well, they've got a lot of strict food restrictions, a lot of um, vegetarians, lot of vegans, uh, low glute, no gluten. Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing a show right now where the main actor is um, vegan mm -hmm. and uh, can't eat gluten. And that eliminates a lot of things. So right. you end up doing a lot of a lot of midnight uh, over the roiling soup pot trying to get something going that looks like meat. Right. Because it's usually the meat that's the offender. Now, I can imagine that while you knew about cooking, the Hannibal itself pushed you a lot further away from your zone of comfort. So, I was, I'm just interested um, how, how in how much research from your part was involved into the making of the dishes. I would say uh, a little, no more research than I normally would do. Okay. Um, or, no, perhaps that's not, perhaps, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm just, because uh, uh, now I'm just thinking about the pies I'm making now, which I'm doing virtually no research for. <laughs> uh, and of course, with Hannibal, everything had so much subtext. I wanted to make sure that it could, would have very deep roots of, uh, meaning and subtext, um, if only because the fanables are, we're so interested in it, you know, you, 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 so often you think, well, I'm a tree falling in the forest, you know, half the time uh, you make food and they don't even see it mm -hmm. because the plate is out of frame. Mm -hmm. So, um, but luckily for me, I got lots of close-ups and was, that, was, that was the most fun for me, having so much attention put on the food that I got to lavish all of my attention on the visuals mm -hmm. and the, uh, how extreme it could be. Because really, food is just, um, food was, is just, the, it, it was a, it, I considered it like a sculpture. Because that is my, my real background, is as a sculptor painter. Right. So I think uh, that, uh, that food is just the medium. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, you're telling the story with food, whether it's an octopus entrail, you're, uh, there, there's a marvelous passage in uh, Zola's um, Belly of Paris where uh, the protagonist is walking past a shop and he sees a display and he says, oh my, he's a painter, the, mm. the protagonist is a painter. He's like, oh, I could never paint, I could never find the paints in my paint box that would match the color of the squid ink, of the blood, of the black, of the, the marvelous deep, rich black of the uh, blood sausage right. and you know that sort of thing like I think we're all uh, every one of us who's a, a, an artist involved in the arts or creative they were all trying to create a, uh, an image in either through our words or through we're trying to create a feeling an image a sculpture a painting with with uh, with our with the tools we have at hand when you watch food in film right now or on TV, what drives you crazy? Because after you have that experience, you know that there's some stuff is not being made properly or right. 
Well, I don't know. I think uh, that in life it all drives me crazy. Okay. I think, you know, you know how Hannibal says, I wouldn't do that to the food? You know, when, uh, who was it, doctor, somebody or other, J Chilton, mm -hmm. accuses it. No, it isn't Chilton. It was somebody else. Accuses him of poisoning the food. And he's, I would draw us back in horror. I wouldn't do that to the food. <laughs> I'd do that to you, you little monster, but I wouldn't do that to the food. And I feel that way that, you know, that it, the farmer works so hard to bring it to, to the market and then the people work so hard to, you know, turn it into flour or to, you know, like it's such a complex, multi-step process that people put their hearts into and then you take it home and you do that to it? Are you not? How dare you? <laughs> it's a travesty. It's true. Now, um, the attention, you, when, when did you realize that there was attention pay, paid to the food outside the show itself? Like there were people who, oh. who will later be, be known as funnivals who were paying such close attention to the food that they were actually considering wondering about the recipes and whatnot. Well, of course I didn't realize this until um, the show started to air. Mm -hmm. So we had already shot everything before I knew that this was all going to be, uh, rather in the first season. Right. So it was, in the, it was when the first season was airing, that's when I realized that the Fanables were taking a deep, deep interest in all of this and I'd better, you know, sharpen my game because mm -hmm. uh, there were going to be questions. There's going to be a quiz after every show. So um, what happened was uh, I just, um, there was some contention as to who owned the sketches mm -hmm. because I, it's my habit to do sketches. I think um, chefs do it in restaurants too because it's easy, you draw a sketch, it's like a diagram yeah. so people can see what you, with me, I, I sketch everything because people understand that more than they understand words and it's easier for them, you mm -hmm. know, picture, a picture uh, is worth a thousand words in some cases and it's an easy way to present something at a meeting or just to get just to get signed off just mm -hmm. to say okay that's okay run with it but because it's a, a sketch and not a photograph or even a uh, even a digital drawing it's there's a vagueness to it mm -hmm. there's a, a marvelous quality of a sketch that it's sort of like tea leaves people see in it what they want to see so if, if somebody comes back to me later and says, well, what did you put those feathers on the plate for? I could point at the drawing and they go, oh, I thought that was lettuce. <laughs> like, no, look, it says feathers. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so what happened was um, they, there was some question as to who owned, uh, did Sony own the pictures? Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't feel that Sony owned the pictures because Sony owned, or NBC Sony owns what? It's NBC Universal though. NBC Universal, yeah. Owns what, uh, what I present at set. Right. Because otherwise, they own my formulas, they own my studio, they own my sleep, mm -hmm. where I'm doing all my good work. So uh, I thought, no, these are working sketches. They're for me to show my, um, they're for internal use. and. Uh, and I own them and I thought, you know what, I don't want to get into a, a fight mm -hmm. with NBC or Sony because I think their lawyers are smarter than mine. Oh. Mm, anyway, mm, so I thought, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to throw them on a blog and because um, that, that automatically will just uh, uh, copyright everything. Mm -hmm. And so I got my uh, digital Dan in, I say, you know what, can, uh, can we just 
put a, I just want to start a blog here uh, so I can publish these things, these, these drawings. And I thought, well, I can't just put the drawings up. That would be cheesy. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll tell a little story. Why not? And so I started to tell the story about uh, what it's like to food style for Hannibal. And um, when I put my drawings in. And that's all it was for. And I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. And the next day, uh, the, we were still working on it. It was a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And, the, and uh, Digital Dan comes over and he says, hey, hey, you know, 35 people have looked at the site already. I said, what are you talking about? He says, look. And he showed me the metrics. And right. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I said, well, I guess we better sharpen it up, huh? So we make a few corrections. And then he phoned me and comes and said, Janice, you know, like 500 people have looked at the site. What do you, I said, oh my God. You know, I, 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 we've created a monster. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that um, you can't just throw stuff up, up. You can't just throw stuff up on the internet. People see it <laughs> right. and they write comments and then they want, and then they want more. Then you become like a, um, somebody once said a vending machine. They push the button, they want the thing. Like, where's your blog? Mm -hmm. <laughs> push the button, where's your blog? <laughs> so. <laughs> now, I, can, I, I assume there has to be a level of coordination with the director of photography regarding your work. How, yeah. how, how was that process for you? He would come to my tables mm -hmm. and he would say what he got to eat, Janice. And I'd show him. Great, he'd say. Uh, it was very, very loose. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a few times he avoided me. I knew when it was. I knew when it was going to be dark. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very, the lighting in Hannibal right, is very moody. Uh, and uh, I'm a, one day. I was. I was being so fastidious setting something up. I told the director it's going to be a river of color. The big long dining room is going to be set with. Um, all the fruits from the last supper, but it's going to be extended and uh, go, go from large, medium, small. So there would be a pumpkin and then it would uh, go to uh, papayas, like all orange fruit, and then it would end up being little tiny, tiny, tiny orange split peas and, or another, you know, as this all charted out. It's a river of color, a hallucinatory color wending down the table. He says, perfect. That'll be perfect with what I had in mind. I didn't know it was going to be black and white until they actually shot it and I saw it on the monitor. Oh. And all that morning the DOP had been avoiding me and I thought, why is he being, why is he being so moody today? <laughs> because usually he's looking for grapes or, mm -hmm. you know, something did in a blonde or, anyway. But you were the one who, uh, I mean, you didn't have the instruction from the DOP regarding what colors you wanted to have in the table. Oh, no, you basically no. It was your call. Yeah, 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 yeah. It very much became my call. I think that what what happens is um, you get you get to know from you see what's happening in wardrobe and mm -hmm. you see what's happening on in set deck and you see the colors they're using. You get you start to understand the palette that uh, is going to be used for that scene or you know so you kind of you go either with it or against it depending on how you want it to play or what you want it to say yourself. Besides right. which. I just lay everything out for the director to look at, and uh, some days on a good day, Brian Fuller comes by, mm -hmm. and uh, and we discuss how how it might be shot and what to use and what dishes will go and what dishes won't. Sometimes everybody's in a hurry, and I just set it up, and then they and then they block block it to see, and then if something is in the shot or not in the shot, they take it out. Mm -hmm. If I say 
weight that's an important part of of it then we sub it you know find a way to put it in most of the time or if it smells like fish they take it out because <laughs> nobody apparently likes to work with the smell of fish <laughs> was it uh, was it mandatory or uh, requested to you for the food to be edible at all times well the food always has to be edible because you when you uh, when you go into a scene you don't know how the actor feels about it or how the director feels about it. They've, you assume everybody's read the script, but it's your, really your first time uh, together. Because mm -hmm. um, the actors are together on a read-through, the director would come in on a production meeting, but this is the first time that everybody's together in the ambience, where the light, you know, like everything is, the scene is set and everybody's like ready to go at it and perhaps being in the environment does give you a different feeling mm -hmm. for how the proceedings will go and so at that point everybody decides how it will go will it go strictly according to the script and different directors adhere differently to okay. the scripts too they they have that you know freedom to say we're no we're going to go do it completely different and so with the actors too because the actors sometimes say you know what i don't think I, I wouldn't, my character wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, okay. You know, most of the time you say, in a case where with, uh, with our cast on Hannibal, everybody was so invested in their roles, mm -hmm. you would never argue with, uh, with Maz or with um, Hugh if they said, my character wouldn't do that. It's like, okay, fine. You know, <laughs> it would. Uh, was there any, any member of the team that you were particularly in sync with? Like maybe a director or a current director or somebody from the cast? You know, I think it's like a family. Okay. It's very much like a family. You are deeply in sync and you have your moments where you hate them or you're just furious with them or you love them or you just, oh, adore them. But at the end of the day, you're all in sync because you're all, you all have that idea of the, of, of the prod, of the, of the, production of what the what the show is going to look like and how uh, the richness of it the whole the tone of it everybody has that in their mind and so right. you have that very much in common so you, and plus working I you know working on a, a film working on a film or a series just working in film the hours are so crazy mm -hmm. and uh, these are the people you see you don't see your family you don't see right. your friends These, these are the people of your existence. And uh, you don't know if it's day and you don't know if it's night because it's dark in the studio. Mm -hmm. Is it hot? Is it cold? Who knows? It's, you're so involved in the, um, in, the thing, in the film, in what you're producing, in the, in the piece of art that you're producing, that that's, that become, that's your world. Mm -hmm. So. Now, um, because of the importance of the food in Hannibal, I can imagine a better showcase for your work than what the show was, has this led to better opportunities, um, not better because it's really hard to up that, but to more opportunities for you? Well, it's funny you should ask, you, because there is no, people said to me many times, people said, what's after Hannibal? Uh, I said, there is nothing after Hannibal. There is no food styling job after Hannibal. It is the uh, ultimate food styling job. I don't ever expect to get another food styling gig that will be what Hannibal has been. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, it is so much the people involved. Brian Fuller is brilliant to work with. I mean, when you said, uh, 
before is there uh, a, a, uh, someone you're in sync with. Mm -hmm. Brian Fuller was the person we all wanted to be in sync with. He, he's so uh, such a brilliant uh, creator, always with new ideas, uh, with a million new ideas, like things you never thought of, but he's always so interested in what your ideas are. And, well, how can we implement your ideas? And he'll take your idea and then he'll just run with it. Which is, you just think, wow. I, you know, it's amazing that to be, for, uh, for a creative person like that, to be so generous with, uh, with, with the work, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing to work with. I've had many opportunities from Hannibal, that have come from Hannibal in, in the food styling world. Um, but, uh, for example, today, um, today I'm being interviewed for a podcast. <laughs> right, absolutely. But uh, I also, not quite as interestingly, have been invited to, um, I've been invited, I've been invited to bid, uh, to submit a, um, um, a proposal to go to, to Russia to shoot a commercial. No, amazing. Yeah, I know, I know. It would be so much fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's probably top secret, so I I could tell you, but then I'd have to rip up your uh, equipment. So <laughs> I know that's a lot yeah. of fun. Okay. <laughs> now it's interesting because you are, I think the word pioneer will be applicable because I don't know anybody else who does your does your job right now in film or television. I don't know. Uh, it's um, to say Hannibal is unusual is uh, unfair to other productions which which there are so many really inventive things that are happening in, uh, in television now certainly certainly in the big screen that things have always been happening but with television things are happening in a way now where stories are I don't want to say soap opera in that way of you know uh, sort of a daytime drag mm -hmm. but um, where you can take uh, a story arc and extended over a whole year and you don't it doesn't have to be like a crime procedural that's solved that you know the crime that you know they look at it it's solved boom done in an hour move on next and that they can be taken as isolated things with TV series now things are more of a story arc and you get right. to explore each character so much more deeply than than you could before and uh, food is very much part of that you know you are what you eat and uh, your attitude towards food is very much tells your your attitude towards life. I I, I think I think mm -hmm. many think many would many would uh, some would disagree. But um, so I think that possibly the um, I'm seeing more interest in food mm -hmm. and uh, than there has been before. I think culturally we're also. More interested in food with the with the advent of all the food shows on television. I mean, you know the competition. I mean the Food Network. Right. Um, that people have become much more interested in food. Mm -hmm. Shows like Anthony Bourdain's. Um, I forget what that's called. Uh, it's not Chef's Table. No, and no, the one in CNN. I believe. Yeah, the one on CNN, where he's actually looking at the um, the background and the history of food and and looking at food as a cultural thing mm -hmm. as opposed to simply a recipe because it is more than a, it is so much more than a recipe it's the story of our lives it's the story of our families and it's the story of our culture mm -hmm. it's the story of of our humanity 
It's what separates animal. You know, animals are not giving, uh, you know, sit-down dinners. Right. And they're and they're they're not even cooking. Really, they eat it raw. So that goes back to uh, Levy's principles of the raw and the cooked mm -hmm. being how you define what is more civilized uh, is to the degree to which it is cooked or raw. Mm -hmm. So um, I know I, I didn't answer your question, did I? I've got a really bad habit of doing no, that's that. That's okay. We can we can go back to that. So I think you're continuing working with Brian Fuller then. I am. I just, you know, I don't, uh, I'm working on American Gods, mm -hmm. which is lots of fun because there's so many characters um, and they're so different. Mm -hmm. You know, they, all those gods are crazy. The gods are crazy and they're mad. They're mad at us too. <laughs> and they've got more power than they lead us to believe. So that's been um, quite a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I might have a project with them, uh, with, uh, with uh, American Gods, that goes beyond uh, the show itself. Oh, fantastic. In the same way that the cookbook. At first I had hoped to do a cookbook for them because I think that's so fascinating, you know, the food of the gods and uh, the gods of American Gods goes uh, to um, Nordic history, to the history of the Vikings, to uh, African history, all of the, well, of course, as you go back, Further, the more God-fearing, the more uh, the more idol-worshipping, the more primitive in many ways the civilization. So we go back in history quite far, and that would make for a very interesting cookbook. I thought, but then something else came up, and I thought, oh no, this this is what I want to do. But again, I can't tell you; I'd have to kill you. <laughs> alien food, perhaps? Oh, per oh, alien food. Well, Brian said to me, he was, it, he came running up to my food station one day and said, I hope you're ready to do replicator food. I thought music, oh, I was just so pleased because even if I only do one or two, it's Ooh, the idea of, of, of uh, yeah. And to be involved with Brian Fuller again, it's really, really, um, it's thrilling. Mm -hmm. It's just thrilling to work in the same arena as somebody who is so, so brilliant. He's mm -hmm. such a creator. He's such a force and, he, and he's always so, except when he's mad, he's, he's such an, a happy, generous person. Mm -hmm. Now you have your book coming in October, yeah. Hannibal. Yeah. What can we expect of it? Well, I hope that people can, will cook from it because because uh, I worked hard on those recipes, kids, and if you don't make those recipes, I'll be sad. But there are vegetarian recipes. I know that doesn't seem right in a cannibal cookbook, but the sadly, oh, the funniest thing in my cookbook is probably on the cover. It's a disclaimer from Sony. You had to put a disclaimer. Yes, yes, Well, yes. actually, it's NBC Universal, I'm guessing. NBC Universal. Yes, it was. Or was Gaumont. Go could have been, could have been Gaumont. I think it was a curious combination of all three uh, maybe uh, came in on it because they also didn't want to use cannibal in the title because that would be Fair encouraging enough. cannibalism. Well, that wouldn't, be, would. that wouldn't be hard because I mean, if you have Hannibal in the title, you can pretty much make the jump from one to the other, right? Yes. Anyway, you were telling me about so, the So, yes, yes, the disclaimer says uh, 
that it's not meant for cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so disappointed. I mean, really. Never mind. But it was fun. It is fun. And uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, they, did, they did put it in a fun way. Mm -hmm. They said, please don't eat your friends. Fair enough. So that, fair enough. So that still leaves mothers-in-law. You know, it's still open. <laughs> do you get somebody from the show to do your preface or Oh my God. When uh, the first thing I did after signing the cookbook thing was I tackled Mass and I said, please, 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 will you write a forward for my cookbook? And he said, of course. And I thought, oh, but you know actors. We just say what they want you to, they, you, so I, so I cornered him again. Are you sure? He's like, yes, yes. <laughs> He's been so great, I can't tell you, so generous. And uh, the forward will bring tears to your eyes. <laughs> well, that's, uh, he's, so, he's so sweet and he just, he just loves the Fanables. That's, he just loves the Fanables. It's just, uh, you know, he's been in so many shows since, but he never fails to go say, back to go back to say how much he loves the Fanables or ask at uh, the shows. He doesn't say, are you a Trekkie? He says, are you a Fanable? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a Canadian exclusive, I believe. Ah. I don't think I have heard that uh, Is that he's right? doing the foreword. No, you're right. I haven't told anybody. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you so much for sitting with us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Oh, my pleasure. Our thanks to Janice Spoon. The book Feeding Hannibal comes out this October. This edition of the Canadian Crew podcast was produced by Susie Lister. I'm Jorge Castillo. You can reach us on Twitter at The Can Crew, on Facebook at The Canadian Crew page, or write us to The Canadian Crew email, all one word, on Gmail. Until next time. <laughs>